Adulting is not teleportation. You don't just make a wish and boom, you're, you, poof, you're on the top of the hill. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. You raise walls, I destroy them. Let's see who prevails. Just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Allow my sword to join you in the fight against evil. The world needs us to chase dreams. We have to dedicate ourselves each and every single day to this fight because I can't do it alone. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Welcome to Skippy and Fanties Reading Rangers! Miles Vorkazakin and the ISO 14001 safety audit on Komar. <laughs> I'm Paul. I'm Stina. And I'm Trish. And we're talking about Komar by Lois McMaster Boozle as part of our Reading Rangers podcast series. Before we get started, a quick reminder, if you love what we do on the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash skippyinfanti, sending a PayPal donation to skippyinfanti at gmail.com, or leaving a review on your favorite podcaster app. Every little bit of support brings us one step closer to world domination. And thank you once again to listeners for making us a Hugo finalist. Yay! So, Trish, you have been tasked with the sacred duty of telling us about Komar. Give us a summary of the book. Okay. The Soleta Solar Mirror Array around Komar, one of uh, Beriar's subject planets, uh, has been damaged. Lord Auditor Miles Vorkosigan and Lord Auditor Vorseth uh, have been sent to investigate this and find out if it was sabotage or just an accident. While they're at this this place, they stay with uh, Vorthus's niece and her husband, uh, Madame and Mr. Uh, Vorsoisson, and... Um, to make a long story short, it turns out that it was sort of an accident, but in the process of um, some Kamaran rebels uh, testing a weapon to close the wormhole between Komar and uh, uh, Bariar. Um, and uh, further, it turns out that uh, uh, Tian Vorsoisan, the husband, was involved in this. Um, although he didn't actually know it, he thought he was just, uh, uh, extorting some, uh, people who were embezzling. Um, and, uh, meanwhile, uh, there are a lot of marriage dynamics going on between the Vorsoisans. Uh, she decides to leave him, which precipitates his going to Miles to try to become an imperial witness. Uh, this eventually results in his death, and when Madame Vorsoisson goes to pick up her, her aunt, Vorseth, uh, she actually runs into the Kamaran rebels, saboteurs, not actually terrorists, 
uh, and actually foils their plan before Miles can get there to rescue her. And they are falling for each other, although they don't really admit it. Yeah, that's that's about it. This is a very crunchy, twisty, as Alex might say, Nancy Drew sort of mystery with lots of other stuff ladled in. So, Stina, what are your impressions of this book? It kind of depressed me. <laughs> I kinda depressed s- you? Yeah. But do tell. Oh, it, it, because Ekaterin's situation uh, felt so familiar to me because... I had, I've, I've had several relationships that were very controlling and dumb like that before I wised up. And so Ekaterin is just written so well. I, I just found it depressing. <laughs> so, but it's uplifting because she does get out of the situation of her own volition and that feels very good. But listening to her, tie yourself into knots constantly was just so realistic. It was, it made me sad. It's a tough book. Um, uh, again, you know, uh, we've, we've read some other, others of um, Bujold's lately that are, have some emotionally challenging parts. Um, and yeah, watching her run along the hamster wheel in her brain, um, uh, apologizing just because her husband gets mad, not because she has anything to apologize for, worrying endlessly about how to placate him and try to think up arguments that will convince him to do sensible things. Yeah, it, it's, I, I think, a fair number of people and probably more women who have been in bad relationships will recognize some of the dynamics here and maybe actually feel them as a gut punch um occasionally um so so yeah it's tough but as you say she does eventually break herself out of this pattern uh and turn out to be a much stronger person than even she expected yeah i love that she turns it around pretty quickly and then becomes very determined she doesn't waffle she just finally makes up her mind that this is what she's going to do. She's had enough. Enough is enough. She's just going to do the thing. And that's that. There's no waffling, which it's the waffling part that often with a character like this, that often frustrates me the most. Sure. It's realistic for them to waffle. Um, I watched my, my sister leave a really intense, bad relationship over the period of 11 years. And it was really hard. But it's not as much fun when you're reading about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It makes for a realistic story, but not good fiction to actually sit there and see them go through the endless waffling without any sort of resolution. But this book avoids that trap by giving her agency. Exactly. Exactly. And I like that. I like that a lot. I had forgotten on this reread that she ha- she was in big ba- ba- and decides no i'm 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 leaving you i'm leaving you at the end before before he dies basically i had forgotten that completely i had i had it misremembered in my brain that he died before she did that but th- i'm glad that Bujold wrote it this way that like because it does show it doesn't show like she passively gets out of the bad situation she takes active direct steps in order to try to make her situation better it just things go pear shaped orthogonally at the same time as her trying to escape 
a very bad marriage for her. Yeah, I really like that she even she even pulls what I would probably have done, which is this whole, oh, you want me to come get my husband? Pfft. It's going to be a pain in the ass. He's going to pull some kind of stunt on the way home, and he's going he's gonna to manipulate me and try to do all this stuff. It would be just safer for me as a person to not go pick him up. I know that whole, that whole thought process right there was, was perfect. It was spot on. I really liked it. Um, I really like that they're both, that she and Miles both are attracted to one another at exactly the same time, but are also struggling with the ethics involved with that because she's in a marriage. Uh, there are too many, I mean, it's human nature for people to like ignore that and go on, but not everybody does that, you know? And I'm, I'm one of those people that doesn't do that. So it feels more realistic to me that she's, well, I have my honor and I need to, what little shred of it I have left and I need to stick to my guns and I've made this choice. I like that she does that. Right. Uh, Lois McMaster Bujol, or at least the Vorkosa verse, makes much of the Vor sense of honor, but you don't have to have a Vor tag on your name to believe in keeping your word and keeping your vows and trying to make things work even when they're hard. Um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to point out also that I, I really like how the book is framed in that in the perspective that uh, you don't hear Miles's thoughts for quite a while in the book. The book starts from uh, Ekaterina's perspective, and you know uh, she she doesn't know this um, this uh, strange tag along person accompanying her uncle at all and we see miles through her eyes which is an interesting uh shift um and uh, uh i would say roughly half or so of the book is in her her viewpoint not in miles's and i really enjoyed that I wanted to engage with the both of you about that. That you read my mind, Trish. That like, I mean, this is the first time we've really seen point of view outside of Miles in a significant way. And here we have here we have whole chapters from Ekaterin's point of view. And as you say, the first time we see Miles, it's not inside his own head, which is a very interesting shift. So. I I found that real interesting. Like, what what do other people see Miles? Like, how do how do how does this person that we've gone through all these books and stories with, how do the other people actually see him when we can actually read Miles' thoughts about it? And we get a very interesting look at him and both both the way she reads him correctly and incorrectly. She makes some she makes some assumptions which turn out to be absolutely spot on, and some of which is like, no, that's not Miles at all. So what did you think, Stina? I I like that. I like that. I, I feel like it's important to get particularly in a series like this to get different perspectives on, on characters that the reader is already familiar with. And it's, I find it really interesting when you get an outside perspective that doesn't mash up with the internal perspective of the care, the target character. 
that's where some really interesting conversations happen regarding character development because none of us actually has a per perfect picture of who we are as a person on the outside because we don't see ourselves from the outside. Mm -hmm. We have our own, we understand our own motivation, motivations. We know why we do the things that we do. People outside of us don't necessarily do so. And that is an important aspect of a character and a person. So I like that she did that. I, I enjoy Ekaterin's, I, I think Ekaterin is a really well-fleshed character. She makes sense. I like that. She cares for her son. Really, he's, his needs are very important to her, his medical needs in particular. I found it interesting, the whole conflict between uh, the whole mutant thing is flaring up again, even though this is Komar and not... The backyards of Barriar? <laughs> Barriar. Yeah, it's not Barriar. So... That really interested me and, and how that heavily affected people psychologically and stays with them, even though they're not necessarily in that social set anymore. I, I thought that was a really well done thing. I thought it was interesting how uh, we know that a lot of people in Miles's orbit say to themselves, if he can do it, I can do it. Uh, for whatever challenge they're facing. But uh, Etienne's reaction, couched in his paranoia and general cynical worldview, says the only reason he gets away with stuff is because he's so highly connected. Uh, and he basically believes this about everyone, that uh, Uncle Forsyth got to be an auditor because of some kind of uh, bribe or favor or something like that, which is hard to imagine. <laughs> there are only nine people in, in uh, nine or eight, eight actually, and one acting uh, Lord Auditors. Um, and for him to, for Etienne to think that he got it through influence is just silly. But anyway, um, that's one thing about the book is that Etienne is a very <laughs> unsympathetic character. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we don't, uh, at least I didn't feel any sympathy for him throughout the book, um, uh, because he is drawn so very negatively. Um, and the, the conflict might have felt even a little more real if he were a slightly more balanced person, but I don't know that I, that would have made it less enjoyable <laughs> um, to to read. I feel he was actually, I felt some sympathy for him. I did, because Catherine feels some sympathy for him. But at the same time, she's just so fed up as, and... So you're definitely on her side because we're in her point of view. And from her perspective, I feel like Etienne is actually portrayed appropriately because we are in her perspective, mm -hmm. her point of view. And they are on the verge of a divorce. So he would be less than flattering in her eyes. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's just the truth of it. But I also feel like he he comes off as... He's a, he's a weak 
man. He's just, he's just weak. He doesn't, he doesn't think for his family. He doesn't think clearly for himself. He takes too many risks financially and he's not, he's not really thinking long term. He's, he's hopeless. He's, he's, he feels that he is not honest to God in his deep core being. He does not feel he's adequate to the task of adulting. That is clear because he insists that anybody who makes it only makes it because they have influence. That's, that's a signal that he himself feels like it's an impossible task that he just can't do it. And I, the other thing I'm really curious about is what, what happened to him to cause him to have that belief. Um, as far as that belief towards Miles, that makes sense because Miles is placed so highly. Every, everything is handed to him on a silver platter on a certain level. He always has an opportunity. Granted, it's not always the most pristine opportunity, and it's not always presented in the most ideal way. But the thing I like about Miles is that he always makes the most of it, no matter what it is. So that's great. But uh, yeah, and I like the fact that Catherine had this whole obsession with plants and her skeleton. Uh, I like that she had had a hobby, I guess, of sorts. I, I think it's more of a hobby. It's, it's really the heart of who she is as a person. Uh, she's a nurturing person and she cares about her family and other people and she's thoughtful where Etienne is not. And I like, I, I just like the gardening aspect of her, that she has a talent that is unusual and separate from, from Miles's. She has, she has her own idea, her own sphere of influence, her own interest that there is a novella coming with, from her point of view, The Flowers of Vashnor, I believe it's coming this spring. Oh, nice. Yep. So that's a through line that, she, that, uh, Bujold's going to pick up. Um, when I first read this, I did feel for Etienne this time. No, I didn't like him at all. I mean, I mean, some of his perspective and feeling like, oh, Everybody has it better than me. Woe is, woe is me is something that I've seen in my own psychology and been trying to correct. And so it's like, yeah, that's not such, not so great, dude. You're ruining yourself and your family by, by your short-sighted gambling actions. You're just like spinning, spinning, spinning and just not keeping your eye on the prize and just blaming everybody else for everything that goes wrong. It's, that get, that got wearying on this reread. Re like, no, you gotta man up. Okay, man up's not a good word. Okay, you you have to adult <laughs> up. Right, but the thing he's missing, I feel, and a lot a lot of people, uh, like my brother, miss is that adulting is about baby steps. It's about and those baby steps build up over time. They accumulate eventually. You take these little baby steps and then you're on the top of a hill and you can look down and see where you used to be. It's not teleportation. Adulting <laughs> is not teleportation. You don't just make a wish and boom, you're, you, poof, you're on the top of the hill. And I think that's the main thing that Etienne is missing. And that, that's that, that thing that he was not taught or never learned that adulting is failing, but continuing to get up and move anyway. 
and realize that everybody has that journey to varying degrees and you may not ever see it from the outside because a lot of that is internal and it may look like everybody gets a shiny happy all the time and you don't, but that's not the actual reality of the situation at all. And I feel, I feel like Ekaterin had that puzzle piece and for some reason, I, I, I know the reason. The reason why is Etienne never listened to her. He treated her as a possession that he had, that he clutches onto like a drowning person to his log, right? Um, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't treat her as a person. He doesn't talk to her as a person. So she wasn't able to convey that information to him. Right. To me, his own immaturity would be much more, uh, pardonable if he didn't at the same time constantly infantilize uh, Ekaterin. Oh, yeah, I hated that. It's like, oh, dude, dude, no, you didn't say that. You did. Oh, it's like every time he he, he treated her that way, it was it's just like a dagger in the, in the heart. It's like, okay, this I hate you even more now. Congratulations. Exactly, exactly. I felt the same way. I really did. It, it made me angry. But it's good that she eventually gets angry about it too. Um, yeah, I mean, she she she's a punching bag for a fair amount, but but like I said, I had forgotten that she no, she actually decides like no, I'm going I'm, for me and and for my son, I'm not going to take this anymore. And it's good that she does eventually just go back and check on Etienne at the at the station. In, sp- in spite of her initial reaction, which is, oh, screw it, he can just sit there. Uh, it's good that she does go out, because if she hadn't gone out, she would feel super guilty and blame herself for his death, which she does anyway, but it she really would be at fault at that point. Right. She is, conv- she, as you said, wants to blow off the request to come pick him up but she tells herself that she has to go do it because the uh you know because of her son um she's going to be tied to this man and she has to keep up friendly relations with him no matter how much she'd like to just turn her back on him completely and that again is adulting (laughs) which is very hard sometimes adulting yes Yes, it's very much a very, very clear thought. She's thinking for the welfare, about the welfare of her son and thinking about the future and how she's going to have to put a nice shell on all of that. Her goal, this is not going to achieve her goal. She's not here to express her feelings. She's here to have a goal, to, to achieve her goal, which is extremely adult. And I admired that. I just want to say how happy I am that that's the whole, you know, dynamic between her and her husband. She, it's not like she meets Miles, gets infatuated, and breaks up, up her marriage for that reason. That would leave a very uh, different <laughs> Uh, feel about this relationship um but uh uh, no she she gets she's getting out of the marriage for her own reasons um not because of meeting another man um so uh you know even though she has met miles and uh 
uh, is attracted to him, that is not at all why she's leaving the marriage. Exactly. Exactly. I like that very, very much. She's very clear-headed about what she's doing. Yes. And doesn't... And I feel like that's... It's just, it's just better. You know, it's okay to have feelings for somebody else while you're in a relationship. It's going to happen. You're a human being. It's happened to me. But the thing is, is that you have to be clear. You made an oath. You have a situation, a long-term relationship. You know, that might be shiny or whatever, but that's nothing compared to everything that you've invested in the one that you've got. And she made a conscious choice. She'd already made the conscious choice that she was going to end that relationship, that her long-term relationship was over and she was going to end that first. That's one of the things I really, really admire about her. She ends that first and eventually takes care of herself first before getting involved with somebody else, which is brilliant, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> not, not in this story. Um, spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, I like I like that she does take care of it. I, the whole business about Etienne s- strangling to death is pretty gruesome, honestly. It is gruesome, and as a as a person who's on the EMS and safety committees at work, is like you idiot, you absolute idiot. I really felt I had forgotten that's the reason why he died because of, because he never checked his suit and didn't have any air in it. I. Had, I had misremembered he had gotten shot. I, I, I mean, it's been it's been years since I read Kalmar, and clearly, I clearly do read me because I've forgotten some key things and got other things wrong. I was like, "You absolute idiot!" Because you did take basic safety precautions. You you died, and as someone who does that as a side thing as work, it's like that felt extra extra painful. It's like you could have prevented this is a preventable problem, and you yeah. Well, in a way, he suicided again. Finally, right? He 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 made he made an unconscious decision to not. He didn't. He made a habit of not checking that. That's a, that's a decision. That's something he decided to do. So ultimately, in a way, it was it was a suicide. So, which is consistent with his character. Part of me, the first time I read it, I was like, God, he's an idiot. He's stupid. He's just stupid. But on a subconscious level, it's a choice he kind of made. So it it's just consistent with his character. It was set up beautifully. Um, you know, it, it is his own character flaw that we've seen, you know, b- before in the movie. Uh, <laughs> sorry, in the book. <laughs> I'd love to see a movie of the Vorkosivers, but that's not what we're talking about. Um uh, we've seen it before in the book that, um, he, he is careless and we even have a scene which at the time is just portrayed as a moment of marital friction where Ekaterin, uh, tells him, don't forget to charge your, your breath mask. And he snarls at her for, um, in his view, belittling him in front of other people foreshadowing yes and i didn't pick it up at the time because i had misremembered why he was going to die now i could see like she's setting it up that's brilliant right it would have been totally different if the kamarans had just shot him or something but he does it to himself 
Exactly. Which is all of his biggest problems he, he, he creates for himself, right? It's just the consistent thing about his character across the board. I like that Catherine is active when she's captured and she does her best to get out of the situation. I like that she's the one that destroys their mechanism and like pisses everybody off. She's not this damsel in distress. She actually actively does shit, which is exactly why Miles likes her. She's she's a lot like his mom, <laughs> which is, I think, a really interesting detail, I feel, that he realizes without actually stating it outright that he's he's attracted to women who remind him in different ways of his mother. I think that's pretty clever. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking of the ending of the movie Ever After. I'm certain you've both seen it. Yes, I've seen part of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and basically the, the heroine has rescued herself before the guy's even gotten there. Oops. Right. I mean, Catherine's stopped the entire plot to destroy, to quote-unquote destroy the wormhole, though as we find out, that's not exactly how the device is actually going to work. It's actually going to be much more catastrophically bad. And yeah, so Miles, Miles just brings, puts the cherry on the sundae that she's already made. Exactly. And so it comes off more like a teamwork a little bit, you know, which I think is kind of foreshadowing for the future. That, that, that's, that's foreshadowing a couple books in the future. Yeah, sure. I really feel like this was a very well written book. The characterization, as always, uh, Bouchard was just a master at characterization. It's one of the things I really, really admire about her. I like the way she fits characters together and has them bounce off each other. And the plot just seems to naturally come out of that, while at the same time not taking too long to come forward. I like that this one has a great deal of tension, and there is an edge of discomfort in it. But things do work out, at least for Ekaterin and her son. And I like that Miles is busy milesing everywhere. And oh, what was the the widow? The widow had a problem with her paperwork and she wasn't going to get any access to her husband's... Oh, right. He had quit. Uh, and and so she wasn't going to get any uh, death benefits from, from the government because he had quit his government job. And uh, Miles... Vorsoisson uh, said, you know, sorry, the forms won't let me do this. And Miles just says, create new <laughs> forms then, buddy. <laughs> exactly. She's, it's like that whole Jedi mind trick, right? These are not the, the forms you're looking for. You will make a form and that's just how it is. And I'm going to sign it and that's going to be that. And, and so there you are. I like that he uses his superpowers for good like that. Yeah. And it's interesting watching him figuring out how to use his his superpowers as Lord Auditor. Um, uh, there's that moment where he just, you know, waves aside the, the, that particular little problem. Uh, but then again, uh, as he tells himself later, you know, there's a point where he is really suspicious of someone, but he decides not to not to not to throw his weight around. And so he does not order um, 
fast pinta questioning of this suspect and later and then you know a lot of things happen uh, that would have been prevented if he had just done that. And so later on, when he's faced with a similar situation, he learns from that and says, you know, uh, yes, this is a mighty power, but sometimes I'm going to have to use that, even if it makes people unhappy with me. And so, yeah, it's just interesting watching him explore how to do his job. Um, it's like a try-fail cycle. I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Okay, this time I will not make that mistake. He learns from mistakes and, yeah, and moves forward. So it's like he consciously checks and rechecks himself and realizes, yeah, I, I've got to do this better because, I, because I've screwed this up before. It's, 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 it's growth for him into the role and as a person. So I wanted to ask the both of you, what did you think of his relationship with the son? I mean, this is the first time we've seen Miles in a quasi paternal sort of uh, role or actually like moments talking to the son about jump ships and whatnot. What you two thought about that? Well, I liked his interactions with the son. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't, I think he gets through it fairly well because he's not treating the boy so much as a child. Uh, he finds an interest that they can talk about and then they, talk about it and get along quite well with each other um so you know i'm sure he deals with many many people in his life that he doesn't have a lot in common with um but finding that one point of interaction makes things a lot easier and then then when um when the boy locks himself in the bathroom because he's upset because he finds out about his warzone's dystrophy uh uh miles is just really skillful in... There are a couple of places in the book where he talks about, you know, lowering walls to make for other people, to make it easier for them to get out of problems they've bricked themselves up behind. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty valuable way to look at things, you know. Um, never just the stick, remember the carrot. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I like the way he deals with the kid. I feel like he's had some pretty good examples of how to parent. I feel like his mom does a really good job with that. I feel like he's he's been surrounded by adults who have supported him and those who haven't. But he's he's got a really good, a pretty clear view and a, and a clear memory of what it was like being a kid and having some issues. And I, I really liked the way he handled the, the kid when he locked himself up in, in the bathroom. I thought that was really cool. So I think I, I just got immediately the feeling that he's going to make a great dad. Yeah. It's, it's not foreshadowing to, to uh, jump to that conclusion. I thought it was a nice bit of character growth because we've not really seen miles in that sort of role or prison before. It's like, well, how does, how does miles, deal with children and i think it's also i mean for the whole romance with the catering that's important that would be important to her like how are you going to deal with my son so it's like it's you you have to be a good husband and a father so i think i think it's it's like almost like auditioning is not quite the word it's 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 adding to miles cv in that regard well because e catherine is not just She's a package deal. She's not, mm -hmm. she's going to come with a child. It's not just her. And then there's this extra add on that may or may not come along. 
that child is a vital part of her life. And I, I think it's really good that he, he sees the situation, he recognizes the, the situation that way, even though they are not at that phase of things at all. But yeah, I, I do like the way he handled that, the kid. Is there any other uh, topics or aspects of the novel either you wanted to bring up? I like that the um, Kamaran rebels think of themselves as nonviolent. You know, they are engineers trying to solve the engineering problem of closing the wormhole. Uh, Miles hasn't had a lot of opponents l like this <laughs> uh, in other books. Um, but also, I love uh, how absolutely enraged Ekaterin is at the their obliviousness to the effects on society that their weapon of choice is going to use. If it even works properly, yeah, it's not a bloodless sort of change. I mean, it's, I mean, Barrier's not going to go happily along in isolation. It's going, to, it's going to be catastrophic for them, and not to mention psychologically catastrophic for any Barriarians outside of that system at the time. So, so while the Komarans think of themselves, oh yeah, this is a bloodless way to end the Barriaran problem once and for all, it is, it's not as simple as they think. And of course, as we find out, yeah, their, their solution isn't that at all. Exactly. I like that. I like what you brought up about, uh, what Patricia brought up about the idea that these engineers think of themselves as being nonviolent and yet repeatedly they're demonstrating all these different ways that they are actually violent, that there's violence involved and that an abrupt violent change is a violence. And it's just interesting that they never actually seem to make that connection because again, they're thinking short term. They're not thinking long term at all, not beyond their main goal. And they're not seeing that they can't stand alone anymore. And this insistence that they should, I keep thinking about things that are happening now and how people are insisting that the United States be all by itself. And yet we get all, and that they're going to shut down all these borders and all this stuff. And that, but most, we get most of our vegetables from Mexico, our vegetables and fruits. And so if you shut that down, that's going to have a direct effect on the population. We're not going to stand alone. It's going to be a mess. Everyone's interconnected. And I feel like bad things happen when we forget that. And that's a lot of what's going on in this book, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, the, yeah st st standing as islands makes us weaker. Being together makes us stronger and more able to to handle handle things and just like it, it's not a solution to build to build a wall to cut off a wormhole gate and to call it good that just does not work the way you think it's going to it it's it's a slogan not a reality exactly and on top of that i mean they're they're not even living in a under conditions or in an environment that's self-sustaining so much right i assume they have to import a lot of things since they're living beneath domes. Komar is a re relatively fragile sort of place, and it was even before the, uh, the Barriarans came across. I mean, they were basically making money on their, on their wormhole jumps. I mean, it's stated that 
they basically uh were paid off by uh the Setagandans to like come through and go conquer Barriar, which I which I found interesting that the Setagan the Setagandans didn't want didn't want didn't want to deal with Komar and Planet. They decided, no, all we want is the gate to Barriar so we can go conquer that. And and the Komar's like, yep, yeah, just give us some money, we'll be fine we're fine. Yep, yeah, go have fun. So it's like so I can see the tension on the Beriaran side of not trusting the Komarans one bit because they just like like let the, let the Setagandans go go through for a price, and so there's there's grievances on both sides, but you have to move forward now, otherwise you're just in a cycle of hate and counter hate forever. And I think uh, Gregor Gregor's uh, wife, future wife Lysa, is a good step. In the series, as well as personally, as well as for Barriar to try to recognize that fact. Exactly. Exactly. Also, I thought it was pretty interesting how she thought out this whole business with the shortage of women on Barriar and the effects that that has. Right. We see that a lot more in the next book, but it's already uh, definitely something that's affecting society now. Yep. Yeah. Uh- yeah, Bujold's definitely setting up for certain events in a civil campaign, which we will not spoil yet, readers. We'll get to that book in good time. And how how Baryaran society has been fundamentally altered by opening up to galactic civilization and technology and sex selection and all the problems that go with it. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to mention one scene that I absolutely adore in this book, which is when... Uh, Miles is at loose ends, and uh, Ekaterine, at Etienne's suggestion, takes him shopping. Um, and it's fun to watch them uh, interacting over that with uh, his decision-making process and her on the outside trying to figure out what he's up to, uh, buying identical <laughs> jewelry for all the women in his life. <laughs> So Miles, but oh, it's so fantastic! Later, when they um, they are are walking, and uh, she uh, starts, t- she's reaching for something and starts to slide off a bridge, and Miles catches her and won't let go, and goes into the water with her, and has this absolute revelation about the fact that. With the Marilakans, um, with the sh- shuttle rescue mission, uh, uh, when he tried to save the woman who was falling out of the shuttle, uh, his hands were frozen mm-hmm. and he couldn't hold on to her. And so she fell out of the shuttle and died. And he realizes holding on to, you know, being pulled into the water with Ekaterine, he could never have saved her. And if he had been a little bit better at trying to save her, because he's so much smaller, he would have just been pulled out and died with her. And, you know, after years and years of nightmares <laughs> of trying to save her and not being able to, that finally, that burden is lifted off of him a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I love that part. I really did. And it's really cool that he comes to that realization that he's, it, it's kind of a good thing that he wasn't able to actually is he he wouldn't be there and probably a bunch of other people would have died too as a result of him not being there later on so i don't know it's just i thought that was a really clever bit of 
character development that I, I, I really enjoyed that part too. Yeah, that that one strong scene has carried us through a number of books now, and now comes to a uh, a, a payoff. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that's part of the reasons why we like doing this reading rage is seeing these things across books, and we get finally get that payoff and that character growth and realization for Miles that we had laid down in that horrific incident a couple books and stories ago. Now, exactly, I I just really like the way that was handled. Okay, so I want to thank the both of you for joining me today on Reading Rangers to talk about Kalmar. Thank you for for having me. I really enjoy talking about these things. I never, I don't know that I would have tackled these books were it not for this series, I'll be honest. I There's just been, I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose all the time mm-hmm. because there's something new coming out and trying to keep up and I read slow to begin with. So yeah. But I'm really thankful that I've had this opportunity to do all this. And I'm really thankful that Bujol is now in my inner library of sorts. Indeed. Yes, I really enjoy the richness of her books and the fact that uh, going through them again and again, you bring fresh perspectives to the book and things come clear that you might have missed the first or second read through. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> and then you begin to see all the connections and, and ties between the books and foreshadowings and, and pickups several books later. Uh, it's, it's a very rewarding series and it's great fun talking about it <laughs> with y'all. Indeed. Thank you, Sina. And thank you, Trish. And for our listeners, Thank you for listening to another episode of Reading Rangers. Of course, the next time you'll hear us talking about a very civil campaign. So from all of us at the Hugo Final Skiffy and Fanti, once again, thank you for thank you for that nom- that nominations, folks. Stay frosty and see it. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or find us on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, our webpage skiffyandfanty.com, or you can even send us an email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Rock Thing by Creo. You can find out more about their music on freemusicarchive.org.